Cool, we're rolling. Two. Uh, all right. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the 100th episode of The Green Room with Neil Griffiths Podcast. I mean, excluding Splendor and Big Sound and all that special shit we do on the side. Uh, this is the 100th episode one-on-one, and I am stoked to be joined by Maddie Healy of the 1975. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, welcome to Sydney. I understand you're, you've been in here for a couple of hours now. Yeah, I landed a couple of hours ago. Yeah. Um, so, spoiler alert, this episode was filmed on a Saturday afternoon. Something like that. Uh, you played Melbourne last night, mm-hmm. uh, the start of the Australian tour. How'd it go? Yeah, it was wicked. It was School Strike was under it in the city as well, so it was everyone was galvanised. It was good. Mm. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. I think 100,000 people in Melbourne, 80,000 people in Sydney. Incredible. Um, and this is something that has um, been a very big focus for you, especially recently. Um, mm. Did you? When did you hear news of these of these strikes, especially in Australia? Uh, well, I, when I spoke to, I think, well, Gre- it was Greta's plan at the time, and when mm-hmm. I just when I just seen her, um, I mean, it, it worked out perfectly. I mean, we were touring the whole world, so I knew I was going to be somewhere that had a decent size strike going on. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it's not so much just at the forefront of our minds; it's at the forefront of culture. Do you know what I mean? So that's why we're so interested in, and engaged in it. Is it true that you plan for future 1975 releases or you hope to release them through USBs? I so I've elaborate I've, please. I've wanted to do that. I've wanted to do something so I mean there was the whole the initial plan that we really wanted to do was like try and create a biodegradable product. So my idea would be a kind of USB where once you you could get the music off it onto your phone or your laptop or whatever, and then you'd be able to plant the product along with seeds and it became a real something that was mm. carbon, you know, was it car- not just carbon neutral, it was something good for the environment. So yeah. I think that we're, we're, we're constantly over the next couple of years going to be striving for something like that. Um, I also like the idea of kind of, you know, of, uh, of playing with form you know, and product design and stuff like that. So I think it could be quite interesting to do to do something like that. But all we're doing now is doing, it'll be on CD and vinyl, but with zero plastics yep. involved, which will be, which is a challenge, but it's good. How far away do you think this is or you, you hope it would be? Well, away? Notes in a Conditional Form will be a plasticless album, mm-hmm. part of a plasticless campaign. Whether we, whether the whole world moves away from vinyl or CDs or whatever it may be, you know, We'll see. But um, physical product is definitely a thing that, that we've taken really seriously in regards to trying to amend how we're going to do it in the future. You know? mm. Touching like things like climate change and um, even social topics like the, cult- the cancel culture. Mm-hmm. I was reading an interview you did and a really interesting line you said was, and I know you didn't want to swear, but unfortunately it was your quote. <laughs> you said, you need to be able to say, you're a cunt and I love you in the same sentence, <laughs> which I think is kind of the problem with, with any argument or debate that's going mm-hmm. on. There is one side that is, fuck you, this exactly. is how things need to be. Exactly. You need to be on our side or fuck off. Yeah. I think what you said perfectly sums up where we need to go. I, it was, it's funny as well because the reason that it probably speaks more is because that's about that quote is in relation to the context that I have with the band in order that we have with each other in order to make it through the world mm. we need an environment where i can say fuck you and like you're a cunt and i love you in the same sentence because that's how we deal with reality now obviously 
you can't extend the way that you are with your friends totally onto the planet, but a more central perspective where the I mean, it's just this whole right and left divide of which I don't really know what is the right and the left anymore. Do you know what I mean? I think that there's this new idea of, you know, post really important and really necessary movements like Me Too and stuff like that um, that have been really necessary for culture. I think that there's this new attitude of people on the internet who feel kind of owed something. Um, so it'll be this kind of thing of people will be like, well, you don't agree with me, so you're a dickhead. Yeah. And if you don't agree with me or apologize for not agreeing with me, I have the right to call you a cunt until everybody else notices mm-hmm. and then I'm going to take away your life mm. because you don't agree with me. That's not the way the world works. There's that and there's this new idea that people think that they have the right to not hear things that they disagree with. I, I'm a person, I have a right to not be ex- even exposed to these ideas. Mm. That's not healthy. The problem is, is that a lot of that rhetoric comes from the right, where there's actual Nazis and actual bad guys. Do you know what I mean? So a lot of that will be inherited by the right and they'll be like, come on, snowflake. Do you know what I mean? Sort yeah, it yeah, out. Yeah. Yeah. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is it's unhealthy for a society to teach people that we can't engage with each other when we disagree. You can't teach someone, no, 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 you can bury your head in the sand and say that it is an affront to your being if somebody brings up something that is that upsets you. I mean, triggering is, really, is a really strange thing because I empathize with people who have had past experiences. But I think the whole trigger warning, safe space, protect people from being exposed to ideas that upset them. I can't really see how that's healthy for a society yeah. or for an individual. Like the idea if I say, you know, that's bigotry. Yeah. And you say, no, it's not. And I say, you're a bigot. This is End the whole story. Thing. The thing that annoys me the most about that is that my analogy would be like, say me and like, I'm really, really pro gay rights, for example. Sure. Pro upholding on a systemic and social level the rights and of people of color, for example. These are really important ideas to me that are kind of beyond intellectual ideas. So I find it really frustrating when words, I used to find it really frustrating when like mental health was becoming more popular that people would throw around the word like depression. I was like, if you've seen depression rare its head, like in your family or something like that, you wouldn't just be using it frivolously on Twitter to explain you're having a bad Tuesday. Um, I think it's the same with like people going, I believe this, and the person going, well, I don't believe that's the case. Say you've even talked about like immigration. Do you know what I mean? Say you talked about immigration, someone says something, and you go, right, well, you're a racist. It starts to frustrate me because I think like a lot of people just throw that kind of thing around because I want to stop racism, right? But say me, you, what's your name again, mate? Z- That's Zig. Zig. He's our video Z- producer and he's Z- a good guy. Say me, you and Zig were, went to a town yeah. and they were like, there's loads of racists in this town, right? Zig, you go over there, you go over there and I'm going to go over here. If you got into an argument with somebody and you went, well, you're a racist. And I came over and I said, okay, you found one. <laughs> good, you found one. What did he say? Well, he didn't, he didn't actually say anything racist, but it's like, he's, we're talking about immigration. It's like, he's obviously racist. No. Yeah. No, yeah. We, we need to find the racists. Yeah. We need to find them and b- 
blurring the lines or murkying things. Mm. And the problem with that is because a lot of people, that's why Trump happens. Because a lot of people who aren't racist, who maybe do have a more conservative attitude or something, will be like, well, you know what? I'll just get somebody who actually is a bit racist to do, to do this. Mm. If you're just not going to listen to me, mm. if you're just going to shout at me. But like I said, it is a difficult place because you do have the right wing. That, that does exist. And yeah. it is, there is like Nazis in there and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Like, so I'm always more protective of the left than I am of the right. But I think that like, just for common discourse, we need to be able to like talk about things seriously without yeah. just resulting to finalities and name calling. Because like putting an ideology on something, like arguing with someone for ages when they could have a point is way harder and more long form than just saying, you're an X, mm. you're a Y, you're a racist, you're a bigot. Because if you call someone a racist, an actual racist or a bigot doesn't deserve to be heard. And that's what you're doing. You're saying you're so beneath contempt that I don't need to take you seriously. So it's like, it's, it's, it's difficult because I, I feel like I take stuff like racism or something way more seriously than a lot of the people who are actively challenging it on yeah. the internet. Do you know what I mean? Even like with the climate change, I was having this conversation with someone today um, and I saw a couple of signs and this is like probably like the nicest one of the signs and I'm sorry for swearing again. No, it's okay. They said like stuff like ScoMo, Scott Morrison, yeah. is a cunt. Right. All that's going to do is piss off I everyone get, who likes ScoMo this is the thing. and hate you more and whatever cause you're fighting for. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You've said something bad about a guy they like, so they hate you more now. And they'll just hate your cause for it. It's just logic. I think that one of the things that I've always said with like young people at our shows, it's as, as frustrating as it is, biting your tongue. Okay, I'm not going to rise to that. It's difficult. That's what this generation needs to do. If we're talking about creating a more forgiving set of social circumstances, making the world nicer, you can't do it by calling people a cunt. You can't do it by not being nice. I'm not saying that we don't challenge ideas. I'm not saying that we shouldn't stand up to things. I'm not saying that you do have that you shouldn't throw your body on the mechanics of the machine when necessary, but I believe that you can't I always get, the time that I get so disappointed with myself is if I do that. If I say, you're a cunt, or you're a dickhead, or I, I, don't, I, don't res, I don't respond to them, I just say, nah. Do you know what I mean? I get really frustrated with that because I see it with people. Like, I see, like, somebody will be, like, debating Piers Morgan, like a really cool, progressive, left-leaning person, and then they'll call Piers Morgan, I've seen for a pile of wank. It's like, but what you're saying is, essentially, in a nutshell, I want people to be nicer Mm. in the world. So you can't really do that by going around calling people a pile of wank. (laughs) That's a good expression. Is that a real thing, a pile of wank? Uh, It's it's something that I saw somebody call Piers Morgan (laughs) once, and I was a bit like, yeah, I am a fan of yours, but this is not doing anybody any favours. Yeah, and your relationship with fame is very interesting. I know you have the belief that you have this platform, mm. you need to do something with it. And if you're not, what the fuck are you doing? I think it's, I think it's partially, um, it comes from where I come from. So that I come from like hardcore, like hardcore and punk. So mm. art as a statement and music having meaning is just part of my DNA. That's, and if I don't come from that, I come from like black American music from my dad. So like, you know, Wilson Pickett or James Brown being sat down and like, played this is a man's world and being like 
feel this <laughs> understand it yeah yeah you know what i mean right like yeah. like this is what this is where the truth is this it's about truth all of it i was like okay i get it so conviction is incredibly important to me but it's more to do with like what is the point like uh, like i think that it annoys me when bands to be honest with you i don't need to do any of this like if i i feel like if i put my how I feel about the world in my music I, I'm not really obliged to do anything else but I am here and I am on stages and I am a person and I do do interviews so it would be pointless of me to not utilize those platforms you mm. know what I mean and I think that you do need to not check your privilege but like I'd, I feel privileged outside of being a middle class white person from England born in the late 80s do you know what I mean mm. like I feel privileged just to do what I do. So sometimes I do feel a little bit like, well, yeah, I need to make point of this stage or what is the point in me getting up at the Brit Awards and just going, thanks, mum. Thanks, yeah. the industry. Thanks, everyone. You should thank you, mum. Yeah, but- I, I think I, I, I did that privately. <laughs> um, but I think it's like more to do with, I don't see the point. And I think that I'm also culturally positioned I don't know. Alternative music doesn't really exist that much in the popular way that it used to. So you don't have that many like Marilyn Mansons or that kind of like there's not many. All of your alternative cultural figures are all in hip hop and, and, and black music, really. So who am I stood next to? You know, like pop stars. Mm-hmm. And those pop stars aren't really saying anything about any about themselves or about the world. So I think that it becomes more obvious to me that I need to use, utilize this kind of cultural position. So I what have. are like the, the Ed Sheerans and Taylor Swift's and Beyonce's of the world? Like, do you think they, that they need to be doing more? Can you stand back and just appreciate them for their music and nothing the else? The thing is though, they will. That's the, the thing is like, they don't, they'll wait. Artists like that will wait until... I think you kind of see it a little bit with Taylor. I'm not I'd never slag Taylor off. I think Taylor's amazing. And Taylor, I want to produce your next album. I've always wanted to she's do that. She's a big fan of this podcast, yeah. so she's hearing this. <laughs> um, thing is, they'll wait until something's been workshop woked enough to feel like you're making a statement mm. when you're not. Yeah. You know, like, I think that cl- the climate or like, you know, like, that Taylor Swift song about supporting gay people didn't come out six years ago. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't. It came out when we all kind of knew that or not that we knew that. It's not that there's a long way to go for gay gay Mm. and bi and queer and trans people in Mm -hmm. this world, but culture has caught up to it. Marks and Spencer's do like a gay sandwich. (laughs) So when you're at that point, you pretty know that you're kind of not really making a statement. If, so it's kind of like, I don't really care what those guys are doing. Like, it's not that I don't have respect for any of those people. I think they're great. Like anybody whose music can appeal to that many people, I have a lot of respect for. I just, it's also like, one of my points was that what annoys me more is when people don't put any social observation in their music, then go and do an interview and expect to be listened to when they talk about it. I want to talk about politics. I want to talk about why I don't care. You've not, you know, said anything of any value. Mm. So I suppose it's a bit like, why would Ed Sheeran or t- why would they do that? I suppose it'd be a risk to their brand. Yeah. And also like, I mean, 
I don't know if they came f- come from the same world as me either. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's an interesting one. Especially with your views on it now and it's continuing to grow. Like, do you see yourselves becoming like today's version of Rage Against the Machine? No, um, I'd love that. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think trying to power that, that objective, subjective opinions about who we may parallel not for me to answer. Um, but I think that Rage Against the Machine is, were politics, f- even though their music was better than pretty much any rock band ever, in my opinion, they were politics first, which is kind of why they split up. And I don't, I don't think we're that kind of band. We're more like, you know, like if the replacements had like kind of done a U2, that's sure. kind of who I see where we're at. Do you yeah. know what I mean? We start out with like really humble beginnings, like true kind of ramshackled uh, beginnings. And I think as we got bigger, we just didn't take that for granted. That's the only thing. And I think as we've gotten bigger, we've become more socially out. We've become more outward in our projections than inward. Because you see bands, like the bigger they get, they can go one way. They can just go the way they just play out to arenas. They play to stadiums. And I know you said recently as well, like you guys have gotten to this point that you are really successful, but you want to graduate to being like an emo band. This is the thing I said that I've said that everybody keeps, everybody at this stage wants to graduate into being a big rock band. And we want to kind of graduate into being a small emo band only because like humility and truth and purpose and us enjoying it and fluidity and being part of having a real time expression, which means not looking particularly back very much, not really looking forward, just being in the now. Like that's, so much more important to us than a particular graduation in a direction that we know is profitable or accessible or like as soon as I start thinking about that that's when my band's gonna get really not gonna be very good Mm. so I just want to keep making records and and I say that with such a, a kind of banal boringness but it's it's so true like because fame, fame would change you whether you like it or not, right? Yeah. Whether it's in a small way, in a major way, it mm-hmm, would. Mm-hmm. It has to. Yeah. So with me, though, it's like... It, it's kind of like I've... the I've said this quite a few times. Like, I couldn't get signed for a long time. And then I would try and get signed and it would get worse. <laughs> so then... I'd listen to Jamie and he'd be like, you know what, man, you know, when you do, when you do anything of value, it's when you really don't care about what people are thinking or you just make music and that's your best music. Learning that at like 23 and that actually being the truth and then doing things that I felt were really specific, hyper impenetrable ideas, my most specific line. Those are the lines that people get tattooed, man. Like those are the songs that people really love. So I think that I have an innate confidence in my truth or my instinct that, um, that being, I've just managed to become more and more famous for being more and more myself. Do you understand what I mean? And I think that if you have like, an image to uphold or an agenda to live up to or you have different people's opinions of what you should be. or If you're constantly in conflict with who you are, then 
you're never going to know who to be for other people. Whereas I've never had to really deal with that. I kind of just go out on stage and go, kissed a boy in Dubai yesterday. <laughs> that was a bit of a fucking nightmare. Do you know what I mean? Slowly turning stand upset, yeah. It's, it, I, I do, in the way that stand-up is an outsider going on stage and making sense of his... There's this brilliant Russell Brand line where he says, my life is just a series of embarrassing incidents strung together by me telling people about those embarrassing incidents. That's a bit like my life. Like, instead of jokes, I write songs, and then I go in and kind of give the songs context. Yeah. I explain what I meant. I said, oh, well, I did this and that happened. Or I kind of go, well, yeah, that's because I believe in this. And then I'll go and, like, kiss a boy in the UAE or I'll do whatever. Like, it feels like... I have a lot of benefit of the doubt with my fans. I have no benefit of the doubt with normal people. As soon as like one of my things, then me out of context is weird. So like now that I'm famous enough in the UK to like put in the newspapers or whatever, I'm constantly in there. Because people who don't know who I'm, what I'm like or what I'm about or what I stand for are constantly like, what? Um, what, is, what is my daughter going to see? <laughs> Do you know? Yeah, who yeah. is this person? Yeah. But... Um, I think I don't really care that much. And like, I love what Tyler said the other day. He was like, cancel me, bitch. He's like, I don't care. He's like, I was canceled before canceling even happened. I was like banned from countries. Do you know what I mean? And I think that like, I'm kind of like done with it. I'm done with like living remote. Oh, they brought chips for me. I'm done with like remotely (laughs) living in fear or like, you know what it is? I had this the other day, like on the internet, people were trying to get me to apologize for something. And it was because I'd taken a selfie, right? And somebody from Korea had given me like loads of fan stuff. And it was like a 1975 flag and a 1975 thing and a 1975 Korea flag. So it wasn't the, well, it was the layout of the Korean flag, but it had 1975 all over it. Anyway, so I took this selfie in the same pose that I take every selfie. And like half an hour later, like my phone's lighting up in half of it in Korean. Mm. And people are like, like immediately like, fuck you. How fucking dare you? This is a disgrace. Like it wasn't like dubious stuff. It was like really intense stuff. And I was like, oh shit. Then I found one in English. It was like, bro, get your foot off my flag. And I was like, oh, okay. So I've, so I looked at the photo and my foot was like kind of on top of near, near the flag. Along but you're, you're posing with the flag. Yes, I kind of was. I wasn't holding it up. It was on the table in front of me and I had my foot. Let's be technical. Okay, I had my foot on top of the fabric. I did. Um, The reaction was as if I'd gotten the Korean flag, stamped all over it, done an Instagram live where I'd gone, fuck (laughs) you, Korea. I don't care about your national pride. Anyway, the reaction. So I'm a person, right? So the best thing that you do in that situation is you go, oh, I'm sorry, mate. I didn't realise. Sorry. Sure. But I'm a person. Toe right now. I'm a per- End of conversation. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But I'm a person, and I was really pissed off by the, just the lack of context yeah. and the, the fact that people were so ready to be like, "You're a con." So I was like, "Fuck off! Mm. I'm not apologising. I'm not apologising because I'm a person." And I was pissed off. Mm. I was like, "Don't talk to me like that." So I think that with me, like, I'm constantly. I've realised like I'd rather be a person and be real. And live in abbreviated comments, uh, abbreviated commas, live my truth at the risk of being cancelled than I would 
buy into a culture that I don't agree with. I'm bored of the no apology culture. I'm bored of the, this is the thing where I get bored with the left, where you have like all these like woke, amazing publications. Do you know what I mean? The same woke publications that will have some dude who over the past 15 years has been converting people who are neo-Nazis. And the reason he's been doing that is because he used to be a neo-Nazi himself. But he's been away and now he's on this podcast talking about it and he's got a TED talk and the left loves him. But the person who's made a mistake recently and has tried to apologize, we go, no, 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 we don't accept your apology. Mm. So what are the rules? Is it time? Is it redemption? I don't know. Even the, the, the Kevin Hart Oscars thing a couple of months it's ago. It's completely like, ridiculous. They, like, it was tweets from 2010 or something. He apologized and then... People were still angry, and he said, "I apologized. I'm done There's with this. I'm not video. doing this." And people said, "More, okay, you're a homophobe." And he was like, "I don't. I apologized. I don't apologize." I'm a comedian. I'm me? a comedian. Ten years ago, yeah. I wasn't as good a comedian. Yeah. The fact that I've gotten better over the ten years has meant that they've offered me the Oscars job. Mm. It's like there was a great Australian comedian who did a bit where he interviewed himself, and he pretended to be a you CEO. I don't don't know who it is, but he sat himself Anyone? down. Do you know who this is? No. He sat he sat in, himself down. And he was like, "All right, Derek." I was like, sit down. He was like, you're a graphic designer. He was like, yeah. And he was like, and your work recently, over the past two or three years, working for the company, has been incredible. He was like, oh, thank you very much. It's like, so we kind of want to offer you a job based on how amazing of a graphic designer you are. And he's like, oh, wicked. But I've seen some of your graphic design work from 10 years ago, and it's not as good as it is now. Yeah. And he goes, well, n- well no, yeah, of course, but that's because I've gotten better. Yeah, we're going to have to let you go. <laughs> yeah. But, but I'm better at it now, and I, I wouldn't do that now. Yeah. It might have been Jim. It Thank sounds you, very Jim Jeffries. It sounds very Jim Jeffries. And yeah. that's the whole point. It's like this idea of expected perfection, both in the past, the present, and the future, without obtaining any perfection for yourself, is this ultimate hypocrisy. Do you know what I mean? Like, if we dug out every single thing that any of us had ever said at any point, none of us would be able to get jobs anywhere. Yeah. You know, because we're all people and we've all said stupidly ignorant stuff. Do you know what I mean? Because, yeah, this attitude that you have is, is fucking awesome because you've said in the, in the one interview, you know, you would produce Taylor Swift's album. But uh, recently, I remember you said as well that one of the reasons you kicked your drug habit was because someone actually said, oh, hey, Maddie, while you were out trying to score. Yeah, I remember that. Mo- it's, it's- your, your attitude to fame in, on one hand is, fuck, I have a responsibility here. But you're saying, I don't give a fuck what people think about me. But then also, hey, I'd produce an album for I'd be the biggest pop artist right I now. I care. What I care about is standing up for ideas that I believe in. And what I believe in is honesty and not judging people. That's like my whole like council, council culture rule. Like, I've got like rules for council culture. Like Rules? Well, I think that it's easy. Like people don't know who you do. I do. I know how it works. If you're a person, most likely a man, in a position of power and... You hold so much power in Monopoly that it requires lots of people at the individual level to group together to stop you from doing that behavior, which you wouldn't have done unless those people got together. That's justified. That's me too. That's a justified thing. Another one, if you're a powerful person in the public eye that says something abhorrent in the public eye and then refuses to apologize for it, That's another one. Fair game. A 17-year-old YouTuber 
who has subjectively done something maybe wrong, a mob mentality getting together and taking them down is, is a bigger, is normally worse than the moral indiscretions that this person's been accused of. Normally. Because there's this great line in the new version of To Kill a Mockingbird, which Aaron Sorkin has written, where he basically goes on to say, not a quote, I won't be able to quote it, but he basically says, a conscience is a bit annoying. A conscience will keep you up at night. <laughs> it'll limit your behavior. It'll stop you from doing things. It'll stop you from saying things. It'll make sure that you do certain things. A mob is where a conscience goes for a break. That's what a yeah. mob is. The idea of individualism, the idea of responsibility, the idea of not being anonymous. When you have all of those, you know, when you're faced with those ideas, it's a bit like, oh, but if you give someone anonymity, just say what you want. Just say it. Just join the club and just fucking say it. So for argument's sake, you wake Freedom. up tomorrow yeah. and they say, hey, Maddie put this Facebook post in 2003 mm -hmm. and he said something that was, I don't know, homophobic. Right. What would you do in that instance? Um, do you apologize immediately? Do you say, guys, this was 15 years ago? You know what? It's difficult because part of my attitude comes from the fact that I don't actually have anything to worry about. I'm not a very feely guy. I'm not a very... I feel like the... I would defend myself. I wouldn't just go, oh, fuck off. Because th th within these situations, somebody might actually be really upset. Yeah, and it's still important to acknowledge it's that what you said may have been wrong. Exactly. Yeah. Like, it, this is the whole thing. I'm the first person to be like, that was wrong. Mm. That was silly. And that was, there's a reason for that. But it's probably just because I was a bit nervous or was trying to be funny. You know, like a lot of these things, there always has to be like profound reasons for why people messed up. Not that they were like showing off. Mm. This is the thing. What people, people are quite good with being self-effacing, even though these are the things we don't think people are good at, being self-effacing, apologizing, understanding, we're actually quite good at that on a personal level. Looking like a dick in front of our mates, no one can deal with it. No one can deal with it at all. That is what most stuff is based on. Not feeling a bit embarrassed and stupid and looking like a dickhead in front of your mates. You'll do anything in that moment to avoid that. So if all of those moments are documented... Kill me. <laughs> exactly. Honestly, yeah, not a chance. Not a chance. Well, look, man, we've got to wrap this up soon. So I've, we've got to talk about the album very quickly. Okay. Tell me about it, man. I mean, obviously, People um, has been very interesting, the, the reaction, the response. Nothing like we've heard 1975 before. No. Is this the direction we're going in? No, no, no. I don't think any... So, the, the, each 1975 song, it's becoming more apparent now, has quite a stylistic and narrative start and finish. They tend not to bleed that much into each other. Um, the narrative album to album of It's Me, It's Matty doing the lyrics, that's kind of a consistency. Everything else is kind of up in the air. Um, no, this record is... It, if you see people, if you can imagine people being pretty standalone, it's a series of those. Okay. So there's, there's no other ones that sound like people, but there's ones that sound as specifically one thing as people does. Um, like I said, I've been trying to talk about this record, man. Like, I started making it five days after a brief inquiry. I started touring a brief inquiry. The idea of following up a brief inquiry as an idea, like I said the other day to someone, I only really realized that like a couple of days ago. 
I had so much to go on. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm actually following up my biggest record. And I look at George, I'm like, shit, we haven't thought about that <laughs> at all. Maybe that's healthy for bands to do that. Maybe you should try and make a bigger, in abbreviated commas, record. But at least it'll be a real record because we haven't thought about that at all. We've just made... We haven't even finished it. Like We're like yeah. halfway... Th- I say halfway through, Like every song that'll go on it is, is kind it? of there-ish. Just, I need to finish all the vocals and all the lyrics yeah. and get it all done, but... Well, look, I expect Taylor Swift will call you within the next two days after I'd she love, is you know so what, man? Me for, mate. You know what? This, I'll talk quickly about Taylor Swift, just about <laughs> music, because it's quite interesting. I was with Zane Lowe, like such a good friend of mine now. I, was, I thought that I'd just nailed it with an idea, because I was like talking to him about records. I was like, dude, I'm a genius. You know what I'm going to try and do? Good start, yeah. I want Taylor Swift, right? This is before she did it, right? She needs to do, like... And then before I said it, and he was like, Nebraska. And I was like... Bruce Springsteen I was like no but I was going to say Blue by Joni Mitchell why did you say Nebraska because that's exactly the same kind of thing and he was like well of course man like Taylor Swift doing a it's me on an acoustic guitar record I can't think of a record that would sell more than that like Taylor Swift's intimate return to country it's like of course you want to produce that (laughs) (laughs) of course you do but she wouldn't do that because it would age her she's incredibly ageless and incredibly beautiful physically and she's she's got this thing of being very young but as soon as you do that as an artist like that it it means you're like a a woman Mm. you know what I mean so she's going to sit on that idea. But Taylor, if you ever want someone to help you set up the mics for your little acoustic <laughs> record, just, you know, I'm there. Well, Maddie, thank you so much, man. I appreciate you. your time. Uh, you. Good luck with the tour. When you hear this, Sydney show will be over. So you killed it. Congratulations. Yep. Nailed it. Uh, looking forward to seeing you come back for Laneway 2020 as well, man. Yeah, man. I'll see you there. Thanks so much. Thank you.